0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Last Post Radio Show Podcast. I'm Gary Mack. At the moment, my co-presenter, Greg T. Ross, is spending a few weeks in Vietnam, quite a wide area of that country, researching a great deal of info that I know that he'll share with us in future podcast episodes. In this, our fifth episode, it's my pleasure to talk to Muriel Cooper, a former radio broadcaster, a registered practicing psychologist, a journalist, a writer, a published author, and also a very dear friend. And I know that she has many wonderful stories to share. In her capacity as a psychologist, Muriel will drop by with timely, interesting, and helpful information for all of us in a segment titled Mental Health Matters. So we invite you to join us for Mental Health Matters with Muriel in future episodes of the Last Post Radio podcast. For almost as long as commercial radio has been operating in Australia, women have been working in it. In November 2023, commercial radio celebrated 100 years. In this podcast episode, we speak with one of the trailblazers indeed the first woman to become number one on a prime time radio talk show however she never really set out to be a pioneer she says that when she began her media career the radio landscape for women was quite barren now for those of you who remember talk radio of the 70s and 80s you may also recall this catchy little theme that introduced her daily talk radio program Hello, Muriel. It's a pleasure to have you here on the last post-radio show podcast at long last. It's a pleasure to be had. And you're perfectly welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to be here. I thought it would be a good idea for you and I to have a wag, find out a little more about you. It's not as if uh, a lot of people uh, don't know about you, but there are going to be some that will want to know maybe a bit more about you, and we'll see if we can dig into the past and uh, bring people up to date with what you're doing now. And thank you also for contributing uh, to Mental Health Matters in our podcast. That's very, very important. Pleasure. I want to go right back to the beginning, however. Where were you born? I was born in the Falkirk Infirmary. Say that again. I was born
1: in the Falkirk Infirmary. Yeah. And in Stirling, Scotland. Mm-hmm. That's where they used to make the pound. Oh, really? That's why it's called Pound Sterling. Aha. Uh-huh. Yes. So well, I was born there and I lived, I grew up with my grandparents in a little sort of suburb called West Quarter, which was an experimental suburb after the war. And it was designed as being self-sufficient. So it was an actually designed suburb. So the houses were designed where they were going to go. The school was designed where the school was going to go, where the shops were. And so, yes, I
0: I grew up in an experimental environment. That reminds me of Canberra. I mean, Canberra was planned from scratch. It was,
1: yes, very similar to Canberra. But Canberra on a much
0: larger scale, of course. Of course, when did you come to Australia? Were you a little tacker or you were, you were a growing up more tacker? No, I was six and a half. Oh, you were a little tacker.
1: I was little. I remember it very, very clearly. Yes. So we came out in 1956, the year of the Melbourne Olympics. Yes. And we came on a ship called the Fair Sea, which was uh, one of the ships of the Sitmar line, was an Italian cruise line.
0: Yes, I know a little bit about the Fair Sky. Well, sister ship. Yes, that used to be that used to be an aircraft carrier. Did you know that? No. Yes, it was. So you came out on a more um, posh, posher version of the <laughs> a ship. Posher that I've been version, on. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: And it, uh, I, I, I loved the ship, and it was the first time I ever had spinach. Oh, really? Because, you know, the Italians are big on spinach. Yeah, they are. Uh, the first time I had blamange, which, of course, in Italian is panna cotta.
0: Yeah, I I, I always call it blank mange. Blank mange. Mm.
1: And uh, and I was I was amazed to find that you can actually mix pineapple and orange juice together.
0: Yes, you can. Yes,
1: and I remember, ex- <laughs> like, discovering all these things. On, and I loved the sheep. And I used to go wandering around on my own. And my mum and dad would realised that I was gone and they'd find me in the engine room, <laughs> <laughs> they'd find me in the in the movie theatre. I, I just adored it. And I'd cried when we had to get off the ship in Fremantle.
0: That would have been a wonderful adventure for you at that age. It
1: was fantastic. Yeah. So we, get, we got off in Fremantle with my uncle and aunt, lived in Fremantle, mm. and I, I just sobbed my heart out. I can remember sitting on a packing case saying, when are we going to go back on the ship? And oh. my mum said... No, sorry, that's it. We're not going back.
0: We're here. How long was the trip back then? It would be a while.
1: About 6 weeks, I think. Yeah. Through the Suez Canal?
0: Oh, really? Yeah. And you probably have memories of that as well.
1: I do vaguely. Yeah. Vaguely. I remember there was a big party mm. and people sat in a special seat and got uh, I think buckets of water thrown <laughs> over them.
0: <laughs> Because it was so bloody hot <laughs> No, because that was part of the ritual oh, There's right. a ritual
1: when you cross the equator Yeah You, you oh, cross course, the sis. equator yeah, yeah. And someone gets dressed up as King Neptune Yeah And sits in this big chair and, and they they throw buckets of water over you I think that's what I remember I thought it was great fun Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So you settled
1: where in Western Australia? Initially in Perth, we lived with my uncle and aunt for a little while, and then Dad worked for the water supply in Scotland, and he got a job in a place called Collie. It's a lovely town uh, in the southwest of WA. yes. And there's a lovely river running through it, the Collie River. And we used to go swimming in the river. And there was a bit little patch of bush down the end of our street that I used to walk through to, to go to school. My mother was terrified. Hmm. She cried when I left to go to school in the morning because oh. she thought I would be bitten by a snake. Oh, yeah. Or a spider.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Australia does get a bit of a bad rap with... uh, Rightly so. ...reptiles.
1: (laughs) Yes, it does. It's got more things that can bite and kill you, I think, than just
0: about anywhere else in the world. Yeah, you've got to be careful, and there are some rather nasty ones out there that will give you a bite and will um, sometimes end lives instantly, you know, it's that... That's right. It's that bad. But we live in a bigger city now, and we don't seem to get them as often, although... That's debatable as well. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, they are there. You just don't see them. <laughs> That's exactly right. But um, we we lived there for a while, and then we moved to a town called Katanning. Ah, yes. And in the wheat, uh, no, in the, in the sheep and wool country, mm. sheep and wheat wheat country, and it was halfway uh, between Perth and Albany, a very very country country town. Yes. And I I didn't like it. It was, um, the people were not the same. I got on fine in Collie. Everybody was nice to me. I got to Catanning and the, and the kids were feral.
0: They chased me home from school and called me the fat pom. Well, you see, that's sad, isn't it? I mean, that racial thing was, you know, it was sort of accepted back then. Yes. Yes. Well, I used to get four eyes at school because I got glasses when I was in primary school. And that was a bit hard to take as well. So, yes, kids can be little buggers, can't they? They can. Yeah. But, you know, um,
1: I was fine when I got to high school and I did very well at high school and I was um, a writer. I I helped to edit the school magazine Mm. and wrote poetry and stories for the school magazine. So when I graduated, the local uh, editor of the paper... His name was Bill Sinnett. Mm-hmm. He looked like Perry White. He smoked a cigar. Oh, really? The same and he had a big bulbous nose, you yes. yes. And so, yeah, uh, I because I was the writer and they had a vacancy for a cadet journalist, they offered me a job at the local newspaper. At the local newspaper.
0: Now, was the local newspaper ever tied up to the local radio station? Did they share their they, news I, with them?
1: They they did, and that was the only thing they shared. Mm. But the journalists used to have to go out to the local radio station once a week on a Friday with the paper, ah. literally the newspaper, and read the news <laughs> out of the newspaper. And the male journalists, senior journalists, had to do it, and they got complaints because they were in a rush because they wanted to get to the pub and yeah. weren't interested in sounding good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It was an imposition. It
1: was an imposition. Yeah. And, um, and Mr. Sinnott called me into his office one day, pardon me, because <coughs> I'm going to do his voice. And he said, "Muriel, He sounded a bit like Darren Hinch, actually.
0: Oh, I'm Hinchy, yes. Yeah, yeah,
1: but a bit more forceful. Mm. So he said, Meryl, I think you should go out and read the news. There's all these complaints. The boys don't read it right. You've got a good voice. Go out and do it.
0: <laughs> and that was it. That was it. I was in radio. There you were. mm Well, the reason that I asked, you know, was the newspaper tied up with the radio station or offering their uh, news gathering services to the radio station? Because that's how it worked back then. Uh, And I remember uh, fumbling and stumbling through news that was poked through a gap in the door that I had to read in the breakfast session when I was in Bathurst and in Mudgee.
1: I did that when I was on the ABC in Melbourne.
0: Yeah, well, there you go. I'll come back to that. I'll come back to that because I know you, you used to have to run up the street to read the news,
2: <laughs>
0: and and uh, I I found that uh, you know back in the day they were. News was typed out on a clunky old nineteen twenty three typewriter. We had one of those. Yeah, and 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 invariably uh, the letters were all higgledy piggledy on the page. Right. So you kind of had to be a, a bit of a scholar at, at going through all this hieroglyphics that was the news. <laughs> but you know, the uh, Great Southern Herald,
1: fondly known as the Great Struggling Herald, mm. I don't think it's with us anymore. I think it's gone to God. So it was it was like a Piece out of time. Um, all the front page was set in molten lead. Yes, and on the stone, and the smell because oh. the bits. Oh, it's wonderful. And the, of the um, fire because mm. it was it was not what not gas or anything. It was like a a barbecue underneath it, melting the lead, and then little bits of. Molten lead would fly off and onto the wooden surround and hiss and bubble. And, and then there was the lino-type machines going clatter, 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 clatter,
2: clatter, 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 clatter. Yep.
1: It was magical. It was like a, um, a wizard's den. I loved it. I absolutely adored it. So when I was offered a job in radio, I was offered two jobs in radio in the same week. Well, that's fairly decent. One in the newsroom at 6IX in Perth. Wow. And that's the, a that's a step up immediately, isn't it? I, I was astonished. I mean, I I had no, I didn't even want to be in radio. I was going to be a journalist. But you were very good. Well, thank you. But within days, they contacted me and said, "Look, we're starting up local programs at this radio station called Six MD in Meriden. Yes, and we would like you to go there and help write commercials and write." News and do programs So you can do that Or you can be in the newsroom at 6ix I mean this is unheard of I had, I was absolutely Overwhelmed So I, I I did what I always do And I always have done I just sat on it I sat on it and I waited for whatever Bubbled up Yeah. And what bubbled up was If I go to the newsroom in Perth I'll probably only ever be in the newsroom But if I go to this Country station, and I learn because they said you will learn everything about radio. Yeah, everything. Yeah. Uh, uh, if I go to that to the country station, I will learn everything there is to know about radio, and so I can do a variety of things. So uh, nobody would believe it when I said that I wouldn't go to the city station, and I was going to go to the country station. I said, "Why did not you go to the city? That's mad."
0: When I got my first job in radio, which was uh, in nineteen sixty four. I went straight to a a large regional town or city in Newcastle in New South Wales, which is just north of Sydney, of course. Yes. And that's considered to be a pretty big market. Second only to the big smoke, really. That's that's right. Mm. And I was there just simply as a voice, back announcing and reading news and uh, uh, commercials, live commercials on air for six hours, Monday to Friday, between six and midnight. And that was it. Uh, Okay, the pay was good. Um, and all of that, but I wanted to do what you've just said. I wanted to go and put my hands on the other levers. Mm. I wanted to uh, learn about selling radio advertising. How does that work? Write advertising copy, produce the commercials, put them on the air, all that sort of stuff, get involved with programming. And I did that when I moved from Newcastle to NX to 2MG and Mudgy, which is very similar to the sort of radio station that you're talking mm. about. Mm. And the other story is a former uh, Melbourne Radio School student who just simply didn't want to go anywhere to work in the bush uh, at getting a job in radio. He only wanted to work in Melbourne because he knew, I knew also, that he had an ability that was absolutely better than many people who were reading news on Melbourne radio at that particular time. And he knew that he could do better. He had had no journalistic experience, but he was a great newsreader, and he he picked up the writing caper pretty quickly, and uh, he said to me, look, I'm not interested in going to work in the country at all, and I said, well, that may well change. You may have to do that to get recognized by the big boys back in the city. Anyway, a job came up for him at Wangaratta, and he, he said to me, I rang him, and he said, Wangaratta? No, he said, I'm not going there. I said, listen, why don't you grab your lady, jump in the car, make an appointment to go up there and spend the weekend in Wangaratta, speak to the boss up there and see what you think. Oh, yeah, all right. So he did. He got a job immediately because he was very good at what he did. He was there for, I suppose, maybe a little more than a year, maybe 18 months, and uh, soon after that, he gets a phone call from the news director at 3AW. And straight into 3AW, he went as a newsreader. Now, that would have been middle eighty, or oh, maybe late 80s. When was your tenure at AW? When did that come to an end? Oh, I
1: had two. So the first one was from 1973 to 1977. Mm-hmm. And then I left and went to the ABC and I worked for Radio Australia and then on uh, Melbourne radio, ABC radio, and then I went back to uh, 3AW in 1991,
0: and I was there for 10 years. Well, you would have met Lachlan Macdonald. Oh, yes. That's who I'm talking about. Wow. Okay. S- sadly, Lachlan is no longer with us. Oh. He, um, he developed cancer, and oh, sadly, he's not with us anymore. Yeah. Uh, But he was a gun. He really was a gun. And he rang me uh, about two weeks into the gig at 3AW reading news, and he was terrific. He was just spot on. He said, mate, he said, I've got to thank you. I said, what for? He said, for suggesting me for the job at Wangaratta. He said, if I had walked into the 3AW newsroom as an absolute wet-behind-the-ears cadet journalist, whatever you want to call me, newsreader, He said they would have uh, chewed me up and spat me out within about Mm. four minutes. Mm. So you see, it's important to start start any career, start small, Mm. get to know how it works, and then you put your own fingerprints on it. Sadly, I feel a lot of young people
1: today, and don't get me wrong, because I love them, I adore them, and I've got young clients as a psychologist, Uh, but they are very... They're not, they, they can't contemplate putting in the hard yards. Mm-hmm. They want to start basically at the top and work their way down. Going back to where we left off, you were in Katanning. I was in Katanning and I went to 6MD and I spent oh, a couple of years, can't remember exactly how long. Good. Did all that, learned everything about everything there is to know about radio and then I got a call one day from the program director at 6IX and said, we'd like you to come down to Perth and do a morning Talk show with David Lowe. Oh, now David Lowe was the voice of Movietone News. He, he was. was
0: a big cheese, and he was also a, a very much revered and well loved newsreader on <gasps> Channel Nine in Sydney. That's right.
1: Well, this was towards the end of his career. Yeah, and I never actually met him. I arrived in Perth to do the show. I. Was there all, you know, good to ready to to get going? And to cut a long story short, the day came where the radio show was due to be on air the following day, and they couldn't find David anywhere. He didn't turn up for the rehearsals, he didn't turn up for the prep. (laughs) So finally, they I think they found him at the racetrack. I think he was a bit of a horse racing aficionado,
0: and he'd forgotten that he had a job to do. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> but but I was green. I mean, you know, I mm. I had never done talk radio. I mean, I'd done the odd bit of talk, but I was mostly spinning discs like you were when you first started. Sure, sure. And I'd I'd never been on talk radio and I'm fronting up to this morning talk show with, with nobody to guide me, no one who's had any experience. I think I lasted a week.
0: That's almost like a nightmare.
1: It is. A, it was and a think, nightmare.
0: Have you ever had nightmares like that? Yes. And and you, I, and you've been at a radio station where something like that's happened. I totally have. When well, that's happened to me, and I I know other people who've worked in radio where the same thing has happened. But that is a nightmare. It was a nightmare. I don't know why they let me on air. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing,
1: and I and I said so, and they said, and you know, oh, you'll be all right. Yeah. Yep. You'll be right. You'll
0: be right. Get in there and do it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I, that didn't
1: last long. So I left Six AX, uh, and but I, I did produce a few shows and I did other on air work. Mm. And and I left and did uh, worked for the Playhouse Theatre for a while in Perth doing um, public relations. And then I went for a work to Sydney for a working holiday. I broke up with my fiance who lived in Sydney. Cried all the way home in the train. <laughs> <laughs> Um, You know, he broke my heart, thank goodness (laughs) Because it would have been a disaster
0: Oh, really? Okay
1: He rang me years later when I was at 3AW Years later, I was doing the afternoon program I was pregnant with my daughter, Amy And I answered the phone and he said, it's so-and-so And And I said, pardon? (laughs) He said, it's so-and-so he said, I just thought I'd ring you. He said, I saw an article on you in the Age Green Guide. Mm. Just thought I'd ring you and say, g'day. I said, good Lord. What, what's happened to you? He said, well, lucky what happened because he said, I've been married four times.
0: Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> so I thought, yes, that dodged a bullet there, I think. He must have had a proclivity for wedding cake. Ah, yeah, probably like the almond icing. I don't yeah. know. So, so I I went back to Catanning and I went out to the radio station just to say g'day. And they said, oh, we're starting up local programs here. Do you want to come and help us do that? So, yeah, I said, okay, I'll do that. Um, met my then husband. We ran the radio station together for mm-hmm. a while and did all sorts of cool stuff. Man, ran talent contests and 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 it was a great time. And then we decided that we'd gone far enough and we'd broaden our horizons. So that's when we came over to Melbourne. And I did the Midnight to Dawn on 3AW for a while.
0: Now, there were a number of women who were doing Middawns on 3RW at that time. Uh, Cecile Blackman. Yes,
1: Yvonne Lawrence. Yvonne
0: Lawrence. Uh, Jane
1: someone. I can't remember her surname.
0: Yes. Uh, I
1: remember to- Jane because she drove a little sort of cut-off mini that, and she used to drive it around with a Great Dane in the
0: back seat. <laughs> was it one of those mini moaks, was it?
1: I, something like that, yeah. yeah.
2: Mm.
0: They were... That was like driving around on a skateboard. It was unbelievable. Yeah, but well, I
1: couldn't, I couldn't cope with the night, with the night shift.
0: No, I only ever did one overnighter. That's midnight until five a.m. Only ever did one in my entire life. It was purely to fill in because the guy that was normally doing it, he was taken to hospital for something that happened, and he was due to go on air. And of course, they all fell into a flap. And they, I got the phone call at about ten o'clock at night. I was about to toddle off to bed. It uh, looks like you're going to be doing mid-dawn, mate. You've got to get in at midnight. So I did one, and that was enough. Mm.
1: Well, I did many, many more than one. I think I did it for probably nearly two years. Did you? 18 months or something. And I went to the program director, David McGee. Yes. And I said, I can't. I quit. I can't do it. Mm. So I, I, the the hours, I had two accidents.
2: Mm. You
1: know, driving mm. um, at, early in the morning and after a long night shift. And uh, and there were ghosts in that building, you know.
0: Well, yes, that's another story. Someone for another died day.
1: in the ladies' toilet. Yes, yeah, yes,
0: that's that's, that's true. That's <laughs> this, true. Was in,
1: this was in and this was in Latrobe Street. Yeah, so so I said I can't do it anymore, and he said, I said I quit. I'm sorry, but I'm resigning. He said, No, you can't. I'm not letting you resign. You are going to work in the creative department which meant writing commercials, yes. producing commercials, recording commercials, all the stuff that I learned back at my little country radio station.
0: And weren't you happy that you had all that experience? I was. I was.
1: And I think I had a better experience cuz not not to dis my beautiful male journo friends who might be listening to this, uh, program, <laughs> but, uh, that they did tend to get on the, the BISS a lot. Oh, okay. Uh, yes. And it was, it, it was a profession that was well known for being, you know, the alcoholic prone. Mm. And uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, I, I was in the, in the creative department for a, a, a while.
0: And then working with David Mann. Well, that was when you and I, I think, met uh, yes. because I was in and out of AW at that time. Uh, I'd, I'd moved on from 3AK, where I was for quite a number of years. Um, and then I became a freelancer. I thought I'll stick my foot in the water and see what I can do for myself. And I had a regular gig, uh, I think it was once a week, sometimes twice a week, I'd be in a day w recording scripts and, and uh, right. commercials that you'd written. That's right. Mm.
1: So there you go. Um, and of course, Gary was so good, he never had to do a second take.
0: Oh, occasionally. <laughs> You're very kind.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, that, yeah, so that's where Gary and I met and I enjoyed my time there, but I got a very clandestine phone call one day. Hmm. I never found out who it was. And so I answered the phone. And I said, oh, it's Muriel here. If you applied for a job at the ABC, you'd get it. Oh. <laughs> Click. Wow. You followed that one up? So I thought, well, actually, that's a jolly good idea. I think I'll do that. Mm-hmm. So I, I applied for a job and got the job at the ABC and worked on Radio Australia for...
0: Uh, A couple of years. You realise that, of course, it's not done that way at the ABC. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, are you you doing a bill? Well, no, I'm doing a a sort of lips of string, you know. Oh. They must have some sort of um, process where they audition hundreds and hundreds. Oh, I had to audition. I had
1: to audition. Yeah. But but I never found out who the mystery caller
0: was. Well, it could have been the boss at the ABC. Who knows? Could it? Yeah.
1: Oh, you wouldn't think the boss at the ABC would sink to that level, would you? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> no. No. Anyway, I loved it. I loved Radio Australia. It was like being in the United Nations. Yeah. And I, I thought Radio Australia did a great job. We broadcast all over the world then. This was in the 70s. Yes. And we, and I did the program Calling Antarctica for a while. I filled in for Mary Adams. Yes. It was a great job, a great gig and that's when i used to have to run to read the news because i i was on radio australia and yeah. i read news on radio australia but then i had to read news on uh, abc radio melbourne as well
0: which is 3lo
1: yes so so i had i had to finish up chuck my coat on <laughs> Put my skates on, race up to Marland House, 500 Burke Street, where the newsroom was there at the time. What, was that a
0: block or two blocks away? What?
1: Yeah. Go up in the lift. I'd hurtle out of the lift. Good grief. I'd fling the coat off, sit down at the microphone like we are now. They'd shove the copy under my nose and absolute cold read. That and you'd
0: never a- get a chance to read it? No. Yeah, well, that's a bit rough, isn't it? But I don't ha- know
1: how it worked out that way. It was because of the time zones, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, 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 I guess so. Uh, so how long did you do that for? How long did uh, the gig running up the street to read the news go for? <laughs>
1: well, it, was, it, it went for about six months because then – or a little bit longer because then I got oh, weird hours in radio. I got the breakfast gig mm-hmm. with a guy called Rick Dowling – the breakfast program was breakfast our time, of course, but everywhere in the world it was at a different time. Yes. And so I, we read the news and we chatted and we played uh, other programs and records and it was a bit eclectic. Yes. And I did that for about 18 months. And then there was the mystery of Elizabeth Bond. Oh, what?
0: Was the mystery
1: there was of Elizabeth a, Bond? There was a woman doing the morning program on ABC Radio called Elizabeth Bond, and she disappeared. She just disappeared. Nobody knew what happened to her, where she went. And that's to this very day. To this, I don't know. I mean, maybe somebody knows. Please enlighten me if you do, because I'd love to know.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, but everyone was talking about, you know, who was going to replace Elizabeth Bond. And I thought, well, why shouldn't I? Of course. So I rang the program director and I said, he answered the phone and I said, it's Muriel Cooper." I said, yes. He said, I said, you need me. He said, what for?
0: Yes, <laughs> what for?
1: And I said, to do the morning program. He said, hmm. He said, you'll have to do an audition. Of
0: course.
1: I said, of course. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Everybody at the ABC has to do an audition. Well, yeah. did in those days. Yeah. And so I got, got the gig. So I was doing the morning program on ABC radio with a guy called Alan Stokes. And then Alan had to move on for some reason, I don't know. And I did the program all by myself. You know, not everybody has to have a bloke. No. And I never had a bloke after that. So all of my time on the ABC, I did the program on my own. It was uh, current affairs and lifestyle. And then uh, I got... um, I got called out at a at a Melbourne Hilton hotel, uh, function cabaret some- function. Oh right, yes. I think it was Dion Warwick or somebody
0: was oh, singing. Yes, I yes. can't remember exactly yes. who. I, I went to that. Uh, I went to that show. You might have been there. maybe may the same night. You could have been there, and then, so Darren was there. Yes,
1: Darren Hinch.
2: Hello, Darren. How are you going, Darren?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Darren was there every now and again. There's just a lull. That happens naturally. Yes. A little bit of quiet. So he waited for one of those and he yelled out at the top of his voice Hey Muriel, why don't you come and work for us? <laughs> Fantastic. Amazing. And Brian White, the manager, yes. sidled up to me later and he said, I've been meaning to give you a call.
0: Oh, so they have been listening. It's
1: all clandestine. It's all, you know, yeah. cloak and dagger. Yeah. You know, mount, hand over mouth, you know, yeah. whispers in ears. And so Brian White and I met in the bar at the Hilton Hotel the next day and struck the deal.
0: Well, there you go. Uh, mm. I can recall one uh, manager rang me while I was at another radio station and said, uh, "Can we talk?" And I said, "Yes, of course. I'd like to meet you somewhere." And I thought, "Well, that's interesting." I said, <laughs> "What say? What say you come to my house and we'll talk there?" Oh no, 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 no. Um, uh, do you know the the coal supermarket on the corner of this one and that one street? And I said, uh, "Yes, I'll meet you in the car park, seven thirty p.m. Don't be late." <gasps> And that's, and that's what happened. That, you had what a to, way to do business. Well, that, I mean, that what a was, way. That was sheer madness. Incredible. Well, Incre- I got the gig as it turned out. Mm, there you go. There you are. So we've had some
1: cloak and dagger in both of our uh, media careers. Then I said goodbye to the ABC and started on 3AW doing the afternoon program and was there for 10 years from 1981 to 1991.
0: And you became the first woman to become number one on a primetime radio talk show,
1: so I'm told, and it was reported at the yes, time. so yes. it was reported at the time.
0: that must have been that must have been a wonderful feeling. Oh, fantastic. How did the boys take it at three a w at the time?
1: well, the boys <laughs> the boys knew that I was a feminist, and they didn't and they poked me occasionally. I beg your pardon?
0: <laughs> prodded me. Prodded, prodded, prodded is a good word. Probably
1: just to try and get a rise out of me. They used to call me the whinging feminist.
0: Oh, did they? They did. That's terribly unfair. It is. But it, at that time, that kind of behaviour was commonplace. It and, was, and it must have driven you absolutely spare.
1: Look, it did, but because they, because I was very assertive about it, but in a nice way. I yeah. wasn't aggressive or you know. Uh, they didn't. They made sure if they made any comments about me or that they didn't say them in my hearing. So then maybe they talked behind my back. Mm. But the most most blatant bit of sexism was when I did get to be number one.
0: Yes, you were number one. And, and maybe you were the only one that rated higher than maybe others at that time.
1: The sales manager, who shall remain nameless, mm. The sales manager came into the booth. Darren and his co, all the, everyone else was upstairs drinking champagne because we were always number one anyway. Yeah,
0: so the boys were uh, celebrating the. The win. boys
1: were celebrating on the on the rooftop terrace, mm. and the sales manager came in and, now this is exactly as I remember it. He patted me on the head. Good lord. Patted me on the head and said, "Aren't you a good girl?"
0: Oh, my word!
1: I know. I said, never touch me again.
0: (laughs) You know, yeah, it was very much a blokey business. Yes.
1: It's not so much now. No, not so much now. But it still is, there's no woman on air except uh, Gold uh, 104 FM has got a couple of women Mm -hmm. being DJs. Yes. But to do the breakfast show, no, you can't be a bloke on your own or a woman on your own. You've, it's got to be, you know, Mike and Mickey or, yeah. or Shelley and Davo. or it drives me spare. And this constant, constant, just inane chatter.
0: Well, you see, that's, that's how the audience has evolved. Mm. And radio stations are supposed to, and I think they do, they're supposed to keep their finger on the pulse of what's happening out there in radio land Mm. because that's what they rely on an audience and then an audience will then spill into numbers that advertisers can reach with their good services and products Mm. so that's how it's evolved and that's why it's like it is it may not necessarily be what you and i like or listen to and was not like it was back in the old days but that that has changed.
1: I think I was a bit rude when I said inane chatter. It's n-
0: that, no, well, most of it is inane chatter.
1: <laughs> but, and and uh, look, I'm not dissing the people themselves. They're good talent. Sure. And you know, if I was the program director, I probably might hire them as well. Mm. But it but it it just seems to me that women particularly cannot do anything on their own without having some bloke to hold their hands.
0: Yeah, that's true. Well, you know that's what makes the world go round, I suppose. You've got to have boys and girls. <laughs> no sweat. <laughs> now while we're on while we're on this tack and today's radio, we've sort of come full circle, I guess up to today's radio. Um, how do you feel about someone like Kyle Sandiland's and his offsider Jackie O uh being um contracted to earn 200 million dollars over a period of 10 years working on uh, multiple radio stations uh it will be out of sydney but it'll be piped down here to melbourne as well can you imagine that sort of money it's obscene who
1: is worth i think Some entertainers, not just radio people, but singers and, you know, a few, including the ones you just mentioned, Kyle and Jackie, are paid, paid obscene amounts of money. Mm. I mean, who could possibly spend all that money? Well, you can't. You Uh, can't. uh, but But what is happening, and I don't want to diss them either because, you know, they're probably good talent and I'd probably hire them as well if I could, but... What it does is it deprives uh, people in Melbourne and in a lot of those other places from having local talent on yeah, air, yeah. and that's what annoys me most about it. Yes, It's really not the money. I mean, if they can get that kind of money, good luck to them, but I think not having local representation, not having local flavour in the programs, I think that's a That's a terrible shame.
0: Well, it's called networking, um, and it's been tried on several occasions, particularly between Melbourne and Sydney, and uh, with great respect to your good mate, um, who hired you at 3AW in the very first place, Mr. White. um, Brian White. Brian White. uh, He tried an experiment between 3AK and 2UE in Sydney, which was a dismal failure. It was called radio titanic. It just simply didn't work. And there are people like John Laws, who was in the day a huge name in Sydney. And everyone revered John. Whether they loved him or they hated him, they all listened to him. And he tried to make a move uh, via 3UZ into the Melbourne market. And that only lasted about 10 minutes. It bombed yeah. majorly. And I'm, I'd be interested to see what Kyle and Jackie to Oh, do. yeah. Well, Me
1: too. I know that audiences have changed, as you pointed out before, mm. and, and audiences you know, do, can, will go along with a bit of inane chatter, but I don't know that they're going to like that particular brand of mm. banter, mm. put it that way.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I, I think Mel, Melbournians have shown themselves in the past uh, in every age to be very different from Sydney audience, and I think that's great, you know, vive la différence.
0: I'm a very firm believer in something that you said there before, in being live and local. Yep,
1: that's a good slogan. We'll have that.
0: It's yours. (laughs) Live and local is what it should be. I just feel that a radio station that is going to be paying that sort of money, of course, has to get its money back pretty quickly. I mean, it's an investment for them, and they're going to make money for the people who own the radio station or the shareholders, so they're under a bit of pressure already. So it has to work in all markets. And I think that's across uh, about three or four markets in this country. So, yes, it's an interesting uh, experiment. I'll be watching with interest. Absolutely. Now, you had an illustrious career in Melbourne radio, ABC, 3AW. You did a lot of voiceovers. Uh, You became the face of RESI. Now, RESI was a building society, wasn't it? Yes,
1: it was the Real Estate Institute Building Society and uh, i did their television ads for ages
0: yes and and there were there were television ads where you had a number of people running down the street following you <laughs> while you were singing
1: that was that was wild it was i they rec- got me into a recording studio They said you can sing can't you i said yeah i can sing sure um and they said would you say these words to the Radetzky march <laughs> oh, oh, i said did. well you know you're <laughs> paying me lots of money so yeah, sure uh, yes, I'll sing to the Radetsky March. So <clears throat> we got into the studio and da da dump, da da dump, da da dump, dump, dump. And there I was in check. charges are a great dum, dum, big bore. Check dum, dum, charges we will have no more in the Rezi, get interest and pay your bills by phone. Doesn't that sound archaic it now? Does. It does, it's wonderful. Yes, though. it does. Then they recorded the actual video. It was on film, it was shot on film. Yes. There were people in the air, ga- you know, uh, flying through the air. there and I was at the top of Bank Place in Melbourne with about 50 people behind me. And we, on cue, we started marching down Bank Place to. <laughs> da-da-dum, 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 da-da-dum. And we did that two or three times. And they said, that's it. And they got it. Yes.
0: Well, I'm sure if you go to YouTube, you'll be there.
1: I am, yes. totally. You just Google me and and on, on, search me on YouTube. Yeah,
0: search. search Muriel Mur-
1: Cooper Resi and I'll be there with red hair, my red helmet hairdo.
0: Oh, yes, of course. I remember you with that lovely red hair. That was just sensational. Mm. Now, the Resi ads were done after you left 3OW or during? During. During, okay. Yes,
1: I was pregnant for one or two of them. Oh well, the oh really, and and a- running down the street pregnant. No, no, I don't. Know. I might have been actually running down the street pregnant, yes. but not barefoot. And Amy was in one of them.
2: Oh, okay. As a, little,
1: as, a- as a little you know toddler, mm. probably eighteen months or something. Okay. Yes, and she was. So
0: she was a star. She was a star. For- she
1: totally turned it on and the cam as soon as the camera looked at her, and right on cue, she looked at the camera and went ah. <laughs>
0: She still does that. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. No, that's very true. Mm. Now, there, have there been any other commercials that you've done? I because did
1: voiceovers for a very high-end furniture, a uh, huge furniture store in Bratton. In Bratton? I think, but I can't remember their name. Well, that
0: must have been memorable. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, a lot of water has gone under the bridge yeah. since then.
0: Now people ask me if uh, you know what what commercials are you on, and I, and I've got to think because you know being in this business it's like any other job, mm. and I usually say to them, well, it's a, a bit like working in a bank, isn't it?" And they say, "Well what do you mean it's like working in a bank well do, you know if you worked in a bank, would you remember all your customers and their transactions?" No. no. Well, I don't remember the ads that I do. You just go and you bark and you go home. Send an invoice. <laughs> woof,
1: woof. <laughs> yeah, woof, woof. Uh, sometimes uh, I got nice uh, presents and and that furniture store gave me an outdoor setting and which had a, a, a Ramler, it was called. Mm. Ramler Outdoor Furniture. Yes. The best in the world. I just recently threw out a sun lounge that I have been using for the last, like, 35 years.
0: Well, that's pretty good-lasting, Ramler.
1: Free ad for you, Ramler. if you're still making furniture, I don't know. That would be
0: interesting to see if they are still working. I must look them up. We'll Google them. We'll put a hand on them for more.
1: (laughs) A bit late, I think.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There are rules now that prevent you from doing that. Well, unwritten laws, I suppose. It's called payola.
1: Oh, well, we used to call it a reciprocal trade agreement.
0: Yes. A reciprocal trade agreement is what it's called.
1: (laughs) Arrangement or agreement, (laughs) whatever you want to call it.
0: I remember Lionel York, uh, bless him, uh, at 3AK, he used to give free plugs for uh, some, it was another outdoor furniture outfit, actually, who made those banana lounges, and uh, he kept mentioning them on air. Uh, oh, I'd love one of those banana lounges up on my balcony. It would be fantastic. Anyone out there, you know. And anyway, someone did finally give him a banana lounge. Mm. And uh, he thought that was fantastic. So he started promoting them. And he was warned by the management at 3AK that if he continues to give free plugs to the people who make the sun lounges, he's going to receive an invoice. And he said, well, yeah, you go blow it out, you know. And, uh... Finally, they did. He persisted, and finally they sent him an invoice. And it was for – it was – back then, it was a large amount of money. It was a little under $1,000. And and he went white when he opened the envelope, and they said, don't do it again. Oh, there (laughs) you go. So they let him off. Lesson learned. Yeah.
1: During those 10 years at 3AW, and also on the ABC, I mean, I did some wild things. I did the first ever radio programs on sex –
0: that's right. I was going to come to that actually, because yeah. that was almost a subject that, uh, widely on a global basis, was almost taboo to talk about in public. Nobody, especially on a radio station,
1: nobody talked about it. No, and so I did uh, pro- a, this series of programs, and we covered everything about sex. But it was a serious program, yeah. you know, with a serious presenter, and we uh, and we took calls from people, um, and. Uh, that to the ABC's eternal credit, they never interfered. They never said, told me to stop it. They never told me not to do it. Uh, and that was fantastic. But when I was on 3AW, I did uh, quite a few things that I'm proud of. I, I campaigned for uh, the legalisation of prostitution.
0: Yes, I remember that.
1: And I also campaigned for um, recognition for uh, First Nations people. Uh, And and I'm very proud of that. I had lots of um, first Indigenous uh, people on the show,
2: um,
1: and uh, and you know, and also women's issues, of course. Um, I think I I, you know I'm pretty proud of the fact that I think I sort of took up the torch after Claudia Wright. Yes, and because Claudia was very influential to me, and lots of people listening will not know who Claudia is, but Claudia was one of the trailblazers of radio, talk radio in Australia. And she covered all sorts of issues, politics, and, and so did I over the years. Uh, but she was especially strong on women's issues and and I was very proud to to keep up that tradition on 3AW.
0: I recall Claudia and yourself were trailblazers on radio with regards to uh, domestic violence. Yes, I did heaps on domestic violence. Yep. Um, I had a,
1: a, a regular detective on the program, who's a private investigator who was an ex police um, detective, and he's he was a lovely guy. His name is David Linton, and he used to come and talk about um, a domestic violence issues, but he, and and uh, how to get out of it, what to do, and yes. but also generally how to keep yourself safe. Exactly, uh, and so he he was a big one of the instigators of Neighborhood Watch.
0: Ah, that's where the name comes from. Yes, I have heard his name.
1: Yeah, I had regulars on the show that I'm f- still very like Doctor Hugh Worth from the RSPCA. Oh right, yes, you, <laughs> yes, he
2: was
0: he was fantastic. He was very grumpy. <laughs> He was always grumpy, wasn't <laughs> he? Very grumpy. I used to talk to him when I was at 3AK, actually. We did things on 3AK that no one else did. We used to do lost dogs. If you do one lost dog, then everybody you Everybody wants to do it. Then everybody... Well, they're all listeners, aren't they? You see? That's evident. And How many
1: listeners are out there that have got a pet? Yeah. As soon as you start talking about pet dogs or cats, like you've, you've got a captured... Audience, you
0: certainly have. Mm. Uh, We had to be very careful when we did it, and I think there was we we used to have these little segments twice a day where people could uh, bring us and we'd just make a a note of where these dogs had gone missing and who to call and all of that. So it was a little five minute segment, Hmm. then it was sponsored. So you know, Hmm. we made some money out of poor little doggies getting lost, but we also had a great. Strike rate. We got a lot of dogs back where they should be. Fantastic. I love it. Moving right along, Muriel. You've been a writer for a long time. Writing is something that's in your DNA, and I understand that you write almost on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. What was your first published book?
1: My first published book was called Lucid, and it uh, was a it's a murder mystery. So I write crime, murder mystery. Mm Uh, with a bit of science fiction fantasy thrown in. Good. A bit of a genre-busting sort of. Yes. So Lucid is uh, was my first published novel, and it's about a lawyer, a Melbourne lawyer, who starts spontaneously lucid dreaming, which is a thing. It's that, a real thing. Yes. So lucid dreaming is like having hallucinations
2: mm-hmm.
1: where everything is totally real. And the people who have these dreams, lucid dreams, actually have some of them have to have tells in their dreams so they can tell whether it's real or whether it's a dream. Okay. For example...
0: I need to learn that technique because I was woken up, or uh, well, I woke up actually, and then Joni told me the next morning that I started about a five-minute conversation talking to someone and explaining something or other. I have no idea what it was, but I woke myself up and I even said well, I think I'm talking a load of crap here, and I rolled over and went back to sleep. So whether that's got a, a connection somewhere, I really don't know. But that's, that's interesting, actually, because that's, I've experienced that many times.
1: Well, yes. Yeah, so so this man, Rick, in the book Lucid, he uh, invents this town called Wellstone, where it's always perfect and always 1959. So he grew up in St Kilda with his grandparents, and his father. His Where woman. all
0: the men are strong and all the women are beautiful and all the children are above average.
1: Ev- absolutely. <laughs> Always perfect, but of course nothing's perfect. And the next thing he knows is woman gets murdered in the most most grisly, ignominious way. She gets uh, drowned in a vat of fermenting grapes. Oh dear. At the local winery. So he has to he has to solve the murder because he, his biggest fear is that these dreams will get away from him. He won't be able to control them and he'll go mad in his dream world. So to save his sanity, he has to solve the murder in his dream. And then his uh, partner and investigator, Lisa, uh, she helps him to solve the murder in real life.
0: Mm-hmm. Is there a follow-up book to Lucid?
1: I have written Lucid 2 ah. and Lucid 3. So in the first book... He goes to Wellstone, the town in his dreams, yeah. and Alexi, the w- woman that gets mur- young woman who's murdered. Uh, they he finds out that that they go to an afterlife in this dream world called Recovery, and so he kind of wills himself to this place to try and find out if she knows who murdered him, her.
2: Uh-huh.
1: So he he sees her lying on a sunbed in this sanitarium, and he says, you know, who did it? And she said, I don't know. I haven't got a clue. <laughs> so back to the drawing board. Yeah. But then in the second book, he goes back there because he said, this is fascinating. I want to go to that place. So the Lucid series is like a video game, like a computer game, yes. where he's always going to another level. And he finds, so the second in recovery, he's two people get murdered in a very grisly way. And then in the third one, uh, called uh, Beyond, uh, a, a, a character from that dream world starts coming into his everyday world, and he's he really is going to go mad because this goddess um, of the forest in this on this level is come, bre- tra- breaking through in when he's in court, you know, arguing a case. Good Lord! And yes, it's so. So I don't know. I mean. It could go on forever because, you know, the levels in computer games, I suppose they do have a limit, but you can just keep going playing and going to this yeah, level and, that, yeah. and this one leads to that one and that one leads to that one.
0: So what are you working on at the moment? I think um, if you look up there to your um, right, you'll see a, a, a poster called, uh, ah. how can you tell if you're a wrinkly? And there are some pictures there of uh, rock stars and, and uh, Frankenstein and a newborn baby. Antonio Rodriguez is up there. Janis Joplin. Janis Joplin, the Statue of David, all of that. And John says, Lennon,
1: of course. He never
0: got to be a wrinkly, did he? Well, no, sadly, he didn't. And Janis didn't either. No. But down the bottom it said, if you screw your nose up once, then you're a wrinkly. Now, was that an inspiration for you to... It was. Well, there it are.
1: was because... Um, I was thinking one day about the slogan, Where No Wrinklies Fly, mm. which was the 3AK Good Guys slogan. Yes. Where No Wrinklies Fly. Well, it wasn't
0: Good Guys. It came after the Good Guys, and it was a slogan that was created by Rhett Walker. That's right. And he, uh, he took the idea of Where No Wrinklies Fly, first of all, to 3XY, because he thought there's a rhyme. 3XY, Where No Wrinklies Fly. But they said, no, go away and leave us alone. So he took it around to a few other radio stations and finally ended up at 3AK and they accepted it. Now, it was an outrageous radio promotion uh, and we went to number one immediately. It was just the most outrageous thing I've ever been involved in. Uh, so it was Rick Walker that came up with that title or that slogan, "Where no wrinklies fly, uh, but it virtually described where it was that we were going. It was um, It was a marketing strategy to say, we don't want wrinklies. We don't want old farts listening to our radio station. We want to be progressive, and and we were, overly so.
1: Well, we're all wrinklies now. That's what I thought. Well, we are. When I thought about that slogan, I thought, how ironic. Like all all the people, some of whom are not here anymore, no. um, uh, who said we're no wrinklies, fly, are now wrinklies. And so I I had the idea to write a novel about about, you know, they always say, write what you know. And it's very prickly writing about certain issues now. And mm-hmm. certain you know, and certain characters of certain other ethnicities and so on. And so I th- so I jokingly said to some writer friends of mine one day, I'm gonna write a book about what I know, which is I'm I'm a privileged, wealthy, white, educated <laughs> woman, you know, with a with a lovely house. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna write. And we all laughed. And then afterwards I thought No, I am going to. So I wrote uh, the Wrinkly Collective, which is um, Dane Savage, the hero. She has a mansion in Brighton and her husband dies and she's very lonely. So she solves her loneliness. She grows weed, by the way, and smokes weed. Oh, okay, yes. Mm. So she solves her loneliness problem by forming the Aldred Hall Cooperative, Housing Cooperative for the older person.
0: Oh, (laughs) And And everyone has a reasonably good time. They get up to
1: shenanigans. And plus there's murder, of course, Mm -hmm. and mayhem as well, because it's a murder mystery. What a
0: great plot for a great movie.
1: Yes, I think it would make it. And also there's a ghost in the wine cellar. Oh. So Crispin Pumphrey Mm. was the butler to her great, 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 great grandfather in 1888. And he was getting a case, a wooden case of cab sav down off the top shelf of the wine cellar. Fell on his head because he's a bit drunk at the time. Oh, dear. Fell on his head. And as he says, I bled out like a stock pig.
0: <laughs> as, as you would. As
1: one would. And so he's trapped, drunk, in the wine cellar. He, he, doesn't, he can't cross over to the other side.
0: Oh, good Lord. Yeah, That could be a scenario for a film right there. Yeah, I think
1: think it'd it'd make a great series on Netflix or something.
0: It certainly would. We'll have to start rattling some chains. I've got a movie for you to watch. Yes. It's called American Fiction. I'll say no more.
1: (laughs) I did love the movie Pulp Fiction.
0: Oh, Pulp Fiction is one of my favourite movies. I mean... Classic. It's a standout movie.
1: I honestly again, not to diss too many people, but I find the thing that is letting down a lot of movies
0: and uh, series now is that that's the writing. Oh, absolutely. The writing is the key. The writing is king with a movie, mm-hmm. with anything, with a series. It's what the actors are actually saying to each other. Mm-hmm. And there have been some wonderful series that you can sit down and you can really get absorbed in. Because of the writing It's not so much the acting Case Sure, in that's mm, important yep. But the writing, the way it's been put together The words that they say to each other mm. I find that the most uh, intriguing Or entertaining part of the whole thing you know?
1: Case in point uh, If you want a lesson, I, th- I think In screenwriting uh, And this is American Because we talked about American fiction uh, Watch uh, the latest series of Fargo
0: Oh, yes, of course,
1: absolutely gorgeous writing, yes, just beautiful, yeah, but Australian writers are great mm. and and
0: um we have some wonderful writers in this country, we really do um and I think that finally australian film and and television drama has come of age,
1: and I think it has come of age because we have accepted our Australianness, yes. Uh, Jane Harper's The Dry, for example, made an absolutely superb film. Absolutely. My favourite of all of her her books and they've, they, I think they made a couple of other films from her books since then as well. Writing to me is what is the most enjoyable thing that mm. I do. Mm. I like my psychology, I like consulting with my clients, but... Honestly, uh, writing just – I sit at the computer to write and hours go by and I don't even notice.
0: Do you um, do you pick a time of day? Do you have a time of day where it works better? It's, I mean, some people say, you know, I get up at five in the morning and I'll write until eight. I'll have breakfast and then I'll think about it for a bit more and write uh, till maybe midday.
1: No, I'm in the middle of the day, so from about like 11 o'clock till – But it's it's fascinating, and I've just thought of this actually. That when I'm writing, and I'm coming up to the end of a chapter, it's almost always synchronous with dog walking time. (laughs) I look at the time and I think, oh, okay, uh, that's the end of that chapter. Oh, and look, it's time to walk the dog.
0: How about that? So you merge two things that you do: you're a psychologist and you're an author and you're able to merge the two together, therefore you, you give these talks.
1: I do a workshop called Caring for the Creative Brain. What's that about? Well, a lot of people talk about tools for writing, like you know the computer they use or the pen they use. My wonderful writer friend Robert Gott, who's written a fabulous uh, book released last year called, the, called Naked Ambition, <laughs> and he also wrote a, a, the Holiday Murder series. He writes all his novels with a fountain pen. Does he really? Yes. yes all of them with a fountain pen, uh, and other people write. You know, talk about the, their computer or their notebooks yes. or what time they write. But actually, all of that is irrelevant. If your brain's not working. If you, don't, if you can't get flow, if you're stuck, or if you don't look after your brain and it, it forgets things on you or it, you can't come up with inspiration. So or...
0: how do you improve that?
1: Well, like you improve anything in life by having a structured approach to your health, your overall health. You have to sleep well. Yes. Dreaming time. Yes. Dreaming time is very, very important. You need to eat well because if you don't provide your brain and your body with the right nutrients – then your brain won't function properly. You have to have a healthy gut mm. because if the the gut has its own nervous system, it's called the enteric nervous system. So if you if your gut is out of whack, you know they call they call people grumpy guts.
2: Yeah,
1: you know yes, you got do. grumpy grumpy. I always say grumpy guts, grumpy person. Yes, because your gut is where you produce serotonin, which is your happy happy chemical. That's right. So. Uh, And then, so there's sleep, there's diet, there's exercise. You need to be, you know, keep yourself fit because writing is physical. You're sitting for long periods of time, typing, you know, you've got to make sure, you know, your posture and everything is right. Um, but, But also you need to think right. You need to understand the creative process. There are steps in the creative process that you need to go through. And if you know, if you understand what step you are in that process, then... If something goes wrong with the process, you can say, oh, well, that's where that's where I'm getting, going wrong or that's where I'm stuck. So I think the brain is amazing. It is absolutely – I've got a, a word that I love I discovered called orphic. I hope orphic is a good word, yes. It's a great word, orphic. It is Is capable of amazing things, uh, but we need to take care of it and we need to use it Properly, and we don't really use it to its fullest capacity. So we're we it, it's the brain is like giving it the brain to human beings is like is like giving a child a Maserati. <laughs> you know, it's got this giant sort of speed machine, and the child has no idea how to work it. So I'm helping people to understand how their brain works and how to harness it better, how to get focus, how to get productivity. Um, and so on.
0: When we buy a computer or a new television set or any device, a new car, doesn't matter what it is, it comes with an operating manual. And sadly, we as human beings don't have a manual that's going to uh, tell us how and what to do when it's necessary and all of that sort of thing. For our listeners in Melbourne... You run these workshops. How often?
1: Well, I'm I, I'm I'm only doing them on the Mornington Peninsula at uh-huh. the moment, but okay. that can change. Yeah. So, um, I'm going to pitch, which is what's called telling a, an organisation or a publisher about your work. I'm going to pitch the workshop to organisations like Writers Victoria,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, and they might be interested in um, in recommending it to groups and people, and it's not just writers. Because I designed the workshop for all creative brains, not just writers, but artists, graphic designers, anybody who really creates uh, for a living and engages in the creative process.
0: Yes. Have you ever been uh, part of a speakers group or uh, management?
1: A long time ago. A long time ago. Uh, yes, Sa- Joan Saxton was my. Joan Saxton agent was a, a long time ago. It was a very big agency, mm, yes. Mm. Yeah, that's true.
0: Mm. So if people want to engage with you, you have a website? They
1: can contact me directly and they can do that by my website, which is thetalkingroom.com.au. Yes. So um, if you just Google The Talking Room or Muriel Cooper, bang, up it will come, and they can send me an email request. Uh, always happy to to consider requests. Um, I'm, I've, I've written a couple of other books about the brain as well, and how to look after your brain and so on. Um, and I've also written a, a, a book called The Good Mood Diet. Um, that I haven't, I haven't published them yet, but I'm working on it. You're
0: working on I'm it. I'm working on it. How difficult is it to publish in this country? <laughs> That's probably going to take us for about another twenty five minutes.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, but the publishing industry in Australia is is good in the in the sense that in America. You, you cannot approach a publisher without having an agent. Mm. That's changing slowly, but uh, it's still more or less the case. Whereas in Australia, Australian uh, tr- traditional publishers, well, most of them will quite happily take a submission. Yes. And, and that's tremendous because, you know, it means that lots of people can just throw their hat in the ring. Uh, but you have to look, obviously, and go uh, along with the submission guidelines. But it's very, very difficult very difficult to get a traditional sort of publisher, but now of course you can self-publish. Yes, and self-publishing is just expanding at a it it light speed. Um, organizations like Ingram Spark and Thorpe Bowker and uh, are providing tools for writers on how to design your book cover, how to print them, how to format them, uh, and then of course you know you put them on Amazon. And other other uh,
0: platforms, platforms.
1: yeah, and, and you do the metadata, mm. Mm, mm. which is where meta comes from. That's uh, right. Yes, and uh, yeah, and you can publish them yourself. Um, that's uh, that's a. a, a that's a way to go if you want to sell books. But if you want to build a reputation as an author, that's what I'm trying to do. So I'm really trying to get a traditional publisher so that the, that traditional publisher will represent me to the public, to other people in the publishing industry. Yes, I understand. And also to, to put my books in bookstores yes. and so on.
0: Well, on that very point that you made with regards to publishers, you're going to love American fiction when you watch it.
1: Right. I oh, so it's about the publishing world, is oh, it? Oh, it's got a, okay. lot going,
0: got a lot going that you'll love and you will not believe what happens. I'm not going to tell I you probably anything will. About it. It's just wonderful. <laughs> and, and it's the most entertaining movie that I've seen in a long time. And there's a, a degree of humour which makes you laugh out loud every now and then. It's, so it's a movie that has everything going for it. Lovely. I look forward to that. Now, Muriel, you're also writing for a Peninsula magazine down here on the Mornington Peninsula.
1: I'm very happy to write for Peninsula Essence magazine, which is part of the Mornington Peninsula news group. And it's a lovely magazine. It's, uh, it's not... Chocked full of ads. There's ads in it. Obviously, it's a lovely glossy magazine. Yeah,
0: and it's free. And it's free. And you can put it on your coffee table. And you can pick it up and read it, even if it's an old edition, because it's full of interesting stories.
1: That's right. So, so it's not a news magazine. It's it's lifestyle and Hmm. really about personalities on the peninsula and people. And um, yeah, so I'm I'm very happy to to write for Peninsula Essence, and I do other stories from time to time. People get me to comment on mental health matters, as I'm doing for The Last Post.
0: Yes, well, that was going to be my next question, actually. We've already pre-recorded some of your mental health matters for uh, the podcast, and uh, we'll look forward to beginning those in our next episode of The Last Post radio show podcast. Lovely. We've been doing a lot of talking about writing, about creative writing, which is something that you've been involved in all your working life, news, news, Commercials, books, items in magazines, stories on people here on the peninsula. What's your view on AI?
1: Oh. <laughs> well, you know, um, I called my novel where uh, The Wrinkly Collective, based on that radio slogan from the 70s, yes, was it? was. it was. Yes. It was? Yeah. Where no wrinklies fly. Mm-hmm. Early 70s. Yeah. I, I think that... Our generation is the last to understand the world as everybody else has known it up to this point. Mm. I think it's going to change incredibly from now on. The changes are going to be huge and they're coming very quickly. The main thing for me is that I'm going to have a lot of difficulty deciding. You know, like my hero in the Lucid novel has difficulty deciding distinguishing what's real from what's not real in, in his in his lucid dreams i think that's what we're going to have difficulty with again yes. because we it's going to be very hard in the media or in any kind of broadcast or or digital media it's going to be very difficult to know what's real and what's not real what's a real person or is it you know an ai generated voice
0: well you see that's what i was also getting at it will affect People like me and voiceover and future generations of voiceover people, you no longer need a human being to read your commercials, to actually appear in your television commercials or cinema commercials or whatever. Advertising is the lifeblood of just about any consumable thing that we can think of. Now you can generate a lovely looking blonde, redhead, a man with a beard, a tall man, a portly woman, a well-dressed person, a suit, tie, whatever, casuals, runners, whatever, and you can choose whatever that person looks like Mm. and then you can give them a voice from maybe 50 that are currently available and that voice will talk in whatever language you want them to speak in Mm. and it all takes a zip of a time.
1: Mm. That's right.
0: And it's happening now. So
1: the advertising which supports
0: the programs
1: is generated by AI. So it's AI-generated ads supporting AI-generated programs. Where did the human beings come into all that? You know what I would like to see? I would like to see things Shrinking back down to a more local, you know, you said before, live and local, local, to shrink back much more to a a, a community level and a local level where people are actually communicating in person. Let's have a talent show. Let's have people get up and sing. A real person. There they are up on the stage, singing, dancing, you know, doing magic or whatever they do. Going back to like the variety uh, programs. Um, Going back to being together, writing together, making art together, making craft together, doing things together, because you do know that that's real.
0: So many people walk around with a mobile phone stuck in their face. Uh, The communication between families, uh, which we've all witnessed in restaurants and cafes, they're all sitting there on their mobile devices. No one's really communicating with each other verbally uh, unless somebody says, oh, have a look at this. Uh, Here's a funny picture. And then they'll go back Mm. into their little world again. So it's isolating us from our fellow human beings. I think. A, I think that, I, I know that's a long bow, but that's kind of where it's going with AI, isn't it?
1: It is in a way, but then I think people are people are onto it, and I think that they're going to be able to say, okay, what I see in the media, I may or may not be real, but I'm just going to look on it as entertainment. Yeah, it doesn't have to be real. Yeah, um, and people are, I think, coming to the uh, to to the realization that a lot of News isn't real, fake news, yes, it's fake. Even scientific papers that support your particular point of view are fake,
0: probably. Yeah. Yep, yep,
1: So, you know, if you're an anti-climate activist or you're you're anti-woke, you'll find just as much evidence to support that as you will to support the other point of view if you are woke. Personally, I'm woke and proud, but, you know, or you are uh, for climate uh, climate action, which I am. So I think... People are starting to get onto it. It's no good just quoting someone else to support your argument. You actually have to think what you... Yeah. You have to use your brain, which is you know what my workshop is about. You have to use your brain to come up with, with an actual homegrown opinion rather than going onto social media or into other areas of the internet and grabbing bits from here and bits of, from there that support your point of view.
0: Well said. Absolutely well said. Leslie Brickhouse and Anthony Newley wrote a musical... It was called Stop the World, I Want to Get Off, and that's where we're at. <laughs> have you thought about that? It's there. Yes, I
1: think that's great. <laughs> I can't remember even what that was about, but there was a great name, wasn't it? Oh, Stop, well, Stop the World. Stop they the made world. a movie out of it, didn't they? Too, they did, did they? too, yes, yes. Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. And and that- but no, you don't have to get off the world. You just have to put things in perspective. Well,
0: there's nowhere else to go except where we are.
1: But I do think that even how we die and how we are disposed of is a matter now for decision, decision, decisions. Yes. Yes. You know, so there's, you, 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 you can be cremated. You can be composted. Yes. You can be buried.
0: Yes. You can even have your ashes flown to the surface of the moon.
1: <laughs> no, you can. That is hubris, isn't it? I mean, that is. <laughs> The ultimate,
0: ultimate hubris.
1: Yeah. Or you can have your ashes made into a diamond. Yes, you can. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, uh, yeah, I mean, for people who are sentimental about these things and want to do that, you know, that's fine. But really, when you're gone, you're gone. It's only um, in the minds of the people that you leave behind that you live on. Yes,
0: Muriel Cooper, thank you very much for dropping by and having this little fireside chat with your old mate. It's been an absolute pleasure, as always. Thank you very much. And we look forward to your Mental Health Matters segments. And the first one will be heard in our next episode of The Last Post radio show podcast. Muriel, thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure having you here.
1: Thanks, Gary.